Welcome to the Global Council podcast, where you can hear the GC team discuss and debate topical developments in public policy and regulation from around the world. Hello, I am Aniko Jabik, a senior associate in the CE Russia Eurasia practice at Global Council. Today, we are going to talk about a recent trade squabble between Lithuania and China over the former's new Taiwan-friendly policies to explore EU-China relations, EU tools to fight economic coercion, the relevance of the traditional WTO dispute resolution process, and what all this means for business. I would like to welcome everyone to our podcast, um, and I will be joined by my colleagues, Ye Fang Li, an associate in our trade practice with experience at the WTO and in Taiwan, and Alessandro Gangarossa, a senior associate in our Brussels office. In Focus is Lithuania, the largest of the three Baltic countries, but still uh, of only 2.8 million people, um, where the center-right coalition governing there since 2020 has been cultivating a values-based foreign policy. The government has also strived to align the country closely with the US, who is seen as a main guarantor of the country's security. Vis-a-vis China, the standard pragmatic cooperation element has been compromised by an anti-communist stance, and this was apparent from early on with the new government quitting the 17 plus one forum, a Chinese initiative to promote business and investment relations with Central and Eastern European countries, and um, saying that the format is not useful for Europe, it is divisive, and it also has some security concerns regarding strategic infrastructure in the region. Uh, Lithuania, already in early 2021, formulated plans to open an economic office in Taiwan. And in November last year, Taiwan's representative office in its capital has been opened as well. This has prompted immediate backlash from China. I will turn now to Yi Fang and ask her why is opening a representative office would prompt such an immediate reaction? So... Uh, so now Taiwan's representation in Lithuania is called the Taiwanese Representative Office in Lithuania. And this deviates from the past practice of Taiwan for using Taipei, Taiwan's capital, in the naming of its representation. For example, in Brussels, uh, the Taiwan's representation is called Taipei Representative Office in the EU and Belgium. So the shift from Taipei to Taiwanese is seen by China as further deviation from the one China policy, uh, despite the EU and Lithuania argue that this is consistent with the policy. Um, for our listeners that are not familiar with the one China policy, this concept emerged in 1970s, acknowledging that there is only one Chinese government. Most of the countries in the world, including the U.S., established formal diplomatic relations with Taiwan, but they remain a robust unofficial relations with Taiwan. So this is why the naming of Taiwan's representation overseas becomes sensitive to, to reflect an unofficial nature of the relation. And however, this is not really the first time that Taiwan is used in Taiwan's representation overseas. For instance, in Somaliland, Taiwan's representation is called Taiwan Representative Office. 
what makes the Lithuania's case special is because um, Lithuania has an official diplomatic relation with China. So upholding one China policy becomes even more important. And furthermore, there is a potential worry that this would create a precedent for other EU countries. And if we remember it, Lithuania it, it dropped out of China's 17 plus one group in 2021 and urged other EU countries to follow. So this may po pose future challenge to China's strategy in Central and Eastern Europe. Europe. So China is, so to say, afraid of a domino effect um, in this case. Well, Lithuania had to face not only condemning public statements from Chinese officials and diplomatic pressure, but the deterioration of bilateral trade ties as well. Um, while China denied ordering a trade boycott and excluding the country from the Chinese customs system, it warned of future countermeasures. And Lithuanian businesses and following that Lithuanian government officials claim that actually Lithuanian goods were refused to be cleared through customs, import applications were rejected, and EU uh, companies were pressured to remove Lithuanian inputs from their supply chain, which is basically a secondary uh, sanction. Lithuania felt it has no other way but to request solidarity from the international community, but I wonder whether it has received sufficient support from its peers. And let me turn to Alessandro, to you, uh, who has been expressing solidarity. This is a very interesting question, uh, especially if we look ahead of how the debate can uh, move forward. Uh, obviously, this started off as a single member state issue, uh, but it quickly escalated to a EU-wide one. Um, and this is not just because uh, not just Lithuanian company has been affected by it, but quickly, indirectly also French, Swedish and German companies have felt uh, this new um, uh, kind of import ban uh, and supply chain issues with China. Brussels definitely has come out uh, in support of Lithuania early in the, 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 the dispute, um, not just through public statement, but also through the usual diplomatic channels. But I think what's really interesting here is to, to have a look at how member states reacted uh, in response of the uh, Chinese and Lithuanian dispute. And here, the responses have been a bit more mixed. Uh, obviously, all EU capital have expressed solidarity with Vilnius, um, but there are definitely different views on how to uh, react in practice on, on this issue. We have on one side, for example, Germany that with the new coalition has definitely taken a tougher stance uh, towards China, but is still keep uh, uh, seeking to have a more conciliatory tone um, with Beijing. And on the opposite side, we definitely have France, which has expressed uh, quite vocally the need of an immediate reaction towards China uh, without obviously specifying how this uh, uh, would uh, take shape in practice. And I think this points really to, to, the, to the very core of the issue that uh, despite all the solidarity and the call for quick action, I think we are still far from an agreed common approach at EU level on, on China. Yes, uh, that's a very good summary of the general reactions. Basically, Lithuania claimed that uh, China's measures uh, are violations of international law and not only an attack on Lithuania, but also the EU single market as a whole and the common EU response is needed. So um, what powers would the EU have to deal with similar issues? Um, how could it react when there is a, a, a true threat to the EU single market as a whole? 
I mean, to simply put it, the EU has no unilateral measures to, to take uh, to respond to these kind of uh, issues. And I think this has been abundantly clear from day one of the dispute. Uh, the EU, for, for example, doesn't have the sort of measures that the US um, can apply, uh, for example, the, the, the 232 and 301 tariff lines. Uh, but at the same time, uh, this has been clear for a while in Brussels and, and the US started to uh, develop uh, these kind of domestic tools to, to act on um, trade, trade issues. Uh, one example could be, for example, the FDI screening mechanism or the EU trade enforcement regulation. But I think uh, most recently, uh, the, the most talked about is definitely the anti-coercion instrument. Uh, the anti-coercion instrument was proposed in December uh, and essentially it intends to give power to the EU to act against countries that have introduced or threatened to introduce measures to pressure member states to take or not to take um, certain policy decisions, which sh should sound very familiar to us given the discussion we are having around Lithuania and China. Um, the problem here is that First of all, all of these measures, especially the anti-coercion instrument, is, are still on the making. Uh, the proposal is from December, but it's still undergoing the usual um, parliamentary and legislative procedures. The Lithuania-China dispute really creates um, a strong argument for those um, supporting these instruments. Um, but I think it's important to flag also that there are a lot in Brussels and in Europe in general that are quite concerned about the implication that this instrument can have on the EU free trade agenda. And I think, for example, the Czech Republic and Sweden have been quite vocal in expressing their concern about how this fits in the open strategic autonomy mantra of the EU. Uh, and it's interesting also because, you know, these two countries will are the next in line for the council presidency after France in the next um, 12 months. Uh, so we'll definitely try to kind of narrow down the scope and make it a bit less um, concerning for the free traders out there in Brussels. So what you are saying that there is no immediate way of acting as a whole, but uh, I wonder whether... Uh, another way, um, the WTO uh, level uh, dispute resolution could be a way forward. And I, I turn to you, Yifang, because uh, actually the EU has uh, chosen this route to go. Yes, Nicole, you are right. Um, the EU has launched a request for consultation with China at the WTO. Um, and you'll probably want to ask, what is the difference between a WTO consultation and a regular diplomatic consultation? And essentially, there are three differences. So first of all, the WTO consultation process paved the way for the EU to launch a formal WTO case against China in the future. So this will add the imminent risk of a lengthy international lawsuit. And secondly, the EU will outline the details of how Chinese measures potentially violate WTO rules. So the show of cards will allow China to carefully consider the potential and material consequences of a WTO lawsuit. And finally, bringing an issue to a multilateral forum like the WTO also allows other countries to formally join the process at third parties, which is the case for the US, Australia, and the UK in this proceeding. So this would allow more consistent and aligned approach for countries to add pressure to push for a solution to the issue. 
However, it is fair to say that the whole process is confidential, so it would be equally difficult for us to gain insights in terms of what is being discussed in the WTO if we compare that to a regular diplomatic consultation. And now, if both sides agree to proceed to a formal dispute settlement process, um, this the alleged import ban imposed by China might be very difficult to justify at the WTO, and it is because um, tr- import ban is the topmost trade restrictive measure a country can ever deploy. And WTO rules allow very little room for justification. And the judicial process in the WTO would aim to interpret interpretate those exceptions very carefully so as not to create dangerous precedents. So overall, it would be interesting to see how both sides draw the scope of this dispute based on laws and facts as the WTO panel will take a cautious approach when reviewing political, politically sensitive elements in a dispute. And they will strictly confine um, themselves to what is submitted by both parties. So essentially, there are quite a lot of um, interesting development to watch at the WTO front. Thank you so much for the summary. But what I get from it is basically that Lithuania, in the meantime, has to uh, find for herself a creative solution. Um, Lithuanian uh, business is getting nervous uh, about the supply chains and uh, and the government itself, which has enjoyed um, support from the public for the uh, for this topic up until the point when they started to be uh, getting nervous about possible consequences. Um, of course, the government has been reacting by opening um, new diplomatic representation in South Korea and Singapore to help also channel some of the trade that was meant for China into other directions. Uh, but I wonder whether they're thinking of possibly uh, changing the name of this representative office would be um, even a solution if that would happen at all. Um, I would like to pick up again this uh, on this supply chain and uh, issue and ask you, Alessandro, um, whether this topic, uh, this situation is, so to say, a warning uh, sign for other EU member states and does it inform the debate around strategic autonomy and supply chains? It certainly does. Uh, I mean, I think there are uh, at least three ways in which uh, this dispute can really shape the EU trade agenda going forward. and. Uh, and also how it approached the supply chain questions and also its strategic autonomy uh, questions. First of all, as I briefly mentioned before, I think uh, really gives political momentum for the development of strategic autonomy tools to act unilaterally in the um, global arena. I mean, if you recall, the European Commission defines Strategic autonomy has the you know, ability to pursue its own interests and priorities without interference from external players. And in a way, if we think about it, the anti-coercion instrument really puts that into practice by giving the European Union the tool to act uh, if it thinks that you know, its strategic autonomy is, um, is being undermined. Um, Secondly, I think uh, the dispute definitely lowers the prospects further for a rapid ratification of the EU-China investment agreement. Uh, you know, the Commission has always seen this uh, as an important piece to balance the relationship with China, looking at strengthening the economic relations on one side and balancing it with the uh, 
instruments to uh, kind of um, take all the shortcomings of the uh, bilateral relations. And as you know, these political efforts to uh, you know, complete the ratification has been put on hold. And I mean, despite the calls from, from certain industries, I think it's very unlikely that this now is going to move forward anytime soon. And the dispute that we are having here is yet another evidence for, for the China ox in Brussels of why, you know, we should focus more on the defensive tools rather than on the um, offensive ones like the investment agreement. And finally, I think <clears throat> from a political perspective, it really brings the risk of further politicization of uh, a series of initiatives looking, for example, at sustainability, which can affect trade. And I'm talking here about, for example, the sustainable corporate governance proposal that is coming out soon from the Commission that is going to look at supply chain due diligence. And this is going to require companies, both uh, EU and non-EU ones, operating in the single market to uh, put out frameworks for um, uh, due diligence of their operations as well as their suppliers in particularly uh, high-risk areas uh, of the supply chains. And clearly, I think here there is a, a China angle as well. Um, so this essentially uh, really give you a sense of uh, how quickly um, this dispute that you know involved initially only Lithuania and, and China has spread out to be not just an issue for EU-China relations, but it's going to really affect and shape uh, the EU trade agenda, I think, uh, going forward. Well, thank you for that. I, I, I think definitely uh, we cover this topic from the risk point of view um, and, uh, and how uh, defensive mechanisms uh, can avert similar risks. But I would like to bring in also the aspect uh, of opportunities. Um, I imagine uh, the original calculation of Lithuania uh, was that uh, maybe um, choosing not only China, but other um, partners for business uh, that could bring, um, bring them benefits. And I wonder whether strengthening ties with Taiwan could bring these business opportunities. Yifan, can I turn to you um, on this question? Yeah, it's a very good question because actually uh, when the tie between Taiwan and Lithuania starts to grow, Taiwanese media are looking uh, into Taiwanese companies for an interview in Lithuania. And it turns out that the only publicly known Taiwanese company in Lithuania is actually a bubble, tea, a bubble milk tea shop. So there are definitely plenty of uh, rooms for further collaboration between Taiwan and Lithuania. And the, the area that comes to people's attention is semiconductor. And this is because Taiwan dominates the outsourcing of semiconductor manufacturing. So essentially, Taiwan contract manufacturers accounts for more than 60% of total global foundry revenue. So uh, semiconductor industry is definitely a strength of Taiwan. And uh, overall, with four decades of experience in developing a semiconductor ecosystem in Taiwan, Taiwan is now assessing Lithuania's potential role to play in the semiconductor supply chain. And Taiwan would then further provide targeted collaboration to train talents in Lithuania. And meanwhile, and Lithuania is known for its strength in laser technology, and this technology will have a potential role to play in the upstream of Taiwanese uh, semiconductor supply chain. So aside from the support that has um, been provided uh, to the semiconductor industry, there is a 
200 million Central Eastern Europe investment plan announced by Taiwan. And there's a further 1 billion credit uh, provided by Taiwan to provide um, and invest in areas of potential collaboration between Taiwan and Lithuania. However, despite all the measures promised by Taiwan, I think the key the key to measure the success of this collaboration would still be based on the actions taken by the Taiwanese uh, semiconductor industries. So the key players, such as the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Corporation, will basically make their decision largely based on commercial factors rather than um, the bilateral relations between Taiwan and Lithuania. So these commercial factors are, for example, cost, talent, ease of doing business, local government support, political stability, etc. For instance, Lithuania can serve as a potential entry point to the European market. So overall, these commercial terms would be key for industries to decide whether or not to use Lithuania as an as a entry point to the European market. Yifang, is there um, any other sectors apart from semiconductor industries where um, further cooperation between Taiwan and Lithuania might be possible? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so at the moment, um, Taiwan is planning to accelerate business collaboration and strengthen trade relations um, in the areas such as laser, fintech, biomedicine, and ICT industries. So these are all potential uh, areas of strength um, in Lithuania and Taiwan. Can we say that only Lithuania could benefit from these industries? Or is it possible that uh, other countries... Uh, that express um, um, solidarity with Lithuania or or, or stronger stance for support for Taiwan uh, could uh, could could use these opportunities. I think in terms of the semiconductor sector, um, there are definitely potential opportunities for other countries to play a role because it would be probably difficult to because. Technically, it would be probably difficult for uh, Lithuania to develop a whole eco ecosystem of semiconductor. So therefore, there is a potential for different parts of the semiconductor supply chain to be spreaded in different parts of the European Union. So I would say that while there is support from, from Taiwan, um, the overall development of a semiconductor industry in Lithuania will still need to be looked from the lenses of, for example, the European um, CHIPS Act and other strategies to develop um, semiconductor industry. Can I just uh, give the word now to Alessandro uh, regarding this last point? Yeah, it's a it's a very interesting question, and I think apart from you know the 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 supply chain issue, as Ifang put it, uh, on the um, you know potential of other member states to at least take part on the segment of the value chain semiconductor. I think there is also an opportunistic approach from potential for. Um, other EU capitals. I mean, we've seen, for example, Slovenian uh, government also coming out um, favorably towards uh, Taiwan as well, also in a way to to strengthen the relation with with uh, with Taiwan. And I think this uh, is something we will need to to monitor as well as especially these small member states that probably has you know limited economic ties with China at the moment are probably those that are more able to free ride. Uh, 
and um, you know close up relation with uh, with Taiwan and distance themselves from from China in a in a more comfortable way than you know others might not be able to do. And for example, Germany is very good example of. Um, a member state that has very strong ties with China, which will be very hard to to decouple from. This is an addition to the point we made earlier that basically the EU-China relationship and uh, the different member states have different approaches. Um, and you just mentioned Slovenia. I find it interesting there that uh, the the prime minister was who made uh, made a statement. Uh, but Slovenia is facing elections in um, uh, late April. And let's see what the new government is going to say about this um, topic again. Well, um, since I'm already um, referring to future events, I will, I will wrap up the conversation with, uh, with the last question to, to both of you about key events to watch in the coming few months. Uh, may I start with you, Yifang? Yeah, sure. So I think the key event to watch is definitely the development of this EU-China dispute in the WTO. So um, the actual outcome of well, the actual outcome of this dispute uh, is worthwhile to watch. I think there might be further implications for ta- uh, for China's succession to CPTPP because CPTPP is such a high ambition. Uh, trade pact and any any countries who wish to access this trade pact would definitely need to show high commitment of upholding the most basic um, trade commitments in the WTO. And for example, Australia, who joined um, the w- WTO, this WTO case as a third party, has mentioned the importance of upholding international trade commitments. So the outcome of EU-China dispute at WTO might have a far-stretching impact outside of the WTO. I think another thing to watch is definitely um, whether or not there's any action taken by Chinese, uh, Taiwanese semiconductor companies. Thank you. And uh, you, Alessandro, what are you going to be uh, watching out with this card? I, mean, I think definitely um, we should all be watching out how the anti-coercion instrument is being developed um, and potentially adopted at EU level. <clears throat> Uh, the the procedure is ongoing now, and obviously this is a quite relevant piece of legislation because there's potentially far-reaching implication for businesses. I mean, we are not just talking about tariffs and duties on on goods, but potentially also restrictions to investment and services. So a quite uh, wide range of uh, regressive measures. Uh, obviously, a first test of these will be. Uh, the EU trade ministers meeting in June, uh, where France will be certainly tried to test the appetite among fellow ministers on uh, on this instrument, and we'll see, uh, especially here, the concerns being raised by the Czechs and the Swedes uh, on the implications for free trade, and definitely we will be watching how the 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 next. Uh, presidencies of the council again the the czech republic in the second half of 2022 and the swedes uh in the first half of 2023 will act on this specific dossier yes on uh, my side i am certainly going to follow the lithuanian uh, domestic political debate around this issue uh, the government is now sensing a bit of uncertainty around its decisions, is trying to build a new all-parliamentary uh, all party consensus around foreign policy. 
So it, it has a significant support at the domestic political level. Of course, uh, looking at business opportunities because it was not only Taiwan who, um, who, who, who um, promised new um, investment and, and, and trade cooperation programs, but also the US has signed up uh, with the export credit uh, line for Lithuania. And I, I wonder how that is going to be implemented. But as we talked about uh, it before, the, 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 the member states themselves, how they are going to change their policies, how a more value-based uh, um, foreign policy might be uh, an element here. Uh, but, uh, but, but elections, like I mentioned, the Slovenian one or the upcoming Hungarian election early April, with Hungary's uh, very pro-China stance, uh, is going to be influential um, in this regard. Well, uh, thank you for all of this. Um, I would just close this podcast episode with, uh, with a shout out to all businesses. Uh, if uh, your investment is exposed to this development, don't hesitate to get in touch with us. You can find the contact details uh, to all of us and our sector teams on the Global Council website at www.global-council.com or via the link in the podcast notes. Um, I would also call your attention to the fact that our 2022 annual conference uh, was focusing on a global perspective regarding China's industrial and political strategy for the next decade. So watch or listen to our Politics of Decoupling series uh, from February 3. Thank you, Yifang, and thank you, Alessandro, and thanks to you for listening. For more insights, blogs and analysis, you can visit our website www.global-council.com and subscribe to our mailing list. And you can follow us on Twitter at global underscore council. Thank you.